Welcome to Trash Compactor. I'm Josh, and today we have two very special guests. My sister, Allie. Hi. And my brother-in-law, her husband, Sean. Hello. What spurred this episode initially is, I believe you mentioned once upon a time a while back that you two were marathoning all of the Star Wars movies in chronological order ahead of, I think, the premiere of one of the shows. Is that Does that sound right? Uh, I think it was actually after Mandalorian started. It w- okay. And Allie was looking for context. Sort of. Well, depends on if you if you count Boba Fett as Mandalorian or not. Um, it was after Boba Fett. So you said, "Hey, do you want to watch Boba Fett with me?" And I was like, "I don't know. I know some Star Wars here, and I don't know, maybe sure." And then we started watching it, and I think the second episode really grabbed me, and then I was like, kind of hooked. And then I was like, okay. You know, and so then, of course, you know, partway through the season, it became, a, there were many episodes that were just about Mando and Grogu. And um, and then I was like, okay, now I want to go back and watch Mandalorian. And you were like, well, it'll, it might make more sense if we watch, like, the movies. And I had seen all of the movies except for Phantom Menace. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, you know, but not... Not in a, like, I'm really invested in the lore kind of way, just kind of in passing, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I'd seen episodes four, five, and six in high school. And then at some point a few years ago, I think one of my roommates had two and three. And I was like, sure. Oh, no, no, no. I think we saw Rogue One. I went to see Rogue One, loved it. Ah. And then I was like, now I want to watch four, five, and six again. And then was like, Got okay, it. this is great. And then I was like, I should probably watch two and three because my roommate had them or I might've, I might've seen actually, no, I think I saw two and three in the theaters, but I didn't really remember them. Like I didn't really have like a, the context for them so much. Yeah. Well, that's sort of what I was thinking when I was putting notes together to do this episode, the impetus was this chronological marathon that you told me about, which I guess sounds like you did it around the time I started this podcast actually. Um, But then I started thinking more about, you know, this podcast has also is also kind of in spite of itself or not has also become something of an exploration of my personal history with Star Wars. It's sort of a, you know, going through the Star Wars movies and Star Wars things as I encountered them. And that's kind of intertwined with my own personal history with Star Wars. So got me thinking about your personal history with Star Wars and how it was different from mine. And I'm just wondering, no, I'm just wondering. um, An understatement, yes. (laughs) Well, no, I'm just wondering, Allie, what your memories of Star Wars are, how you first encountered Star Wars, if you can recall what those encounters were like when you were a kid. I don't remember how I first encountered Star Wars because I feel like it was always a given that it was there because you were so into Star Wars. Yeah. And I, I remember really liking um, Spaceballs. And I remember you telling me and being very frustrated that I didn't get the jokes. So you like you did not understand at all why I liked Spaceballs. And honestly, watching it later, like when I think I watched it when I was like 13 and was like, oh, like I didn't know, you know, you know, those things when you watch a movie and all the adult humor goes over you. Yes. So like there's that. But then also, like, I didn't get, I remember you being like, you don't get why Pizza the Hut is funny. And I was like, no, it's like Pizza Hut. And you're like, no, but you don't, I don't get it. 
Um, I remember that very specifically. That's funny. I, just, I don't remember that. I did really like Spaceballs. I don't know. Um, but yeah, and then four, five, and six. I don't. I couldn't tell you the first time I saw them. I remember watching them in high school with friends of mine. But it was like, oh, we're gonna go back and rewatch them. I don't remember the first time I watched them because I just feel like they were always there. Yeah, well, you definitely had seen them before you were in high school because I remember watching oh, no, I them with like you. I just, yeah. yeah, I have a distinct memory of watching them in high school. I don't have any yeah. distinct memories before that, but I definitely watched them. Um, yeah, I have this memory. It's a weird, a weirdly specific memory, but there's this one part in The Empire Strikes Back toward the end when they're escaping from Cloud City and 3PO had been in pieces on Chewbacca's back and they finally get back to the Falcon and they're, they're escaping. And, um, uh, you know, 3PO is laying in pieces on the ground and he sees R2-D2 for the first time and R2-D2 beeps something and 3PO says, well, of course I've looked better. And we thought it was so funny and we, we kept rewinding it so we could hear him say that line again and again. Wait, we as in you and me? Yes, we as in you and me. That's adorable. I have no memory of that, but I wish I did. <laughs> That's so cute. Well, you were, well, yeah, I mean, you were younger than me, but we thought it was the funniest thing. Aww. So, which is something that, uh, you know, which, so uh, 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 which is something funny, too, because, you know, so this season on Trash Compactor, we're covering the prequels and I've been having a lot of conversations with people our age and a little older about the Star Wars prequels and, you know, a recurring theme, something that keeps coming up again and again is problems with the humor seems mm -hmm. to be a big stumbling block. I and mean, that's, then that's a problem that I don't know. Actually, maybe I shouldn't even because you're not up to the sequels yet, but I feel like in the fandom that seems to be a thing that people have issues with in the sequel trilogy as well. Well, see, I don't have a problem with the humor in the sequels, like nearly as much as. No, the, I don't either. I just, as with, that's what yeah. it made me think of. Well, the interesting thing though, is that, you know, whenever I critique something or I have a criticism of something that's supposed to be humorous in any of the prequel movies, I think about, moments like that where i'm like no like this is it's like i feel like i have to check myself i'm like but this is really for you know 11 year olds and would they laugh at this yeah and a, a lot of times even where the prequels are concerned my answer is still no <laughs> but <laughs> i have to like we were talking about attack of the clones specifically and like there's this whole running gag and the end, the end battle about how 3PO gets his head on a battle droid. And it's like these like shenanigans where his head keeps on moving. And, and there are these horrible puns, like his head like falls off and he's being dragged along next to his body. And he's like, Oh, I'm quite beside myself. And it's just stuff like that. I'm just like, maybe humor for 11 year olds works the closer you are to that age and the further the older you get, the more you try to do what you're thinking. I can't totally relate to you there just because I love puns. Like, I get, I get okay, the, like, fair. The, the, I get the. Well, what's tricky in the, the case of Star Wars is that the, the, the context and the tone, like on the one hand, it's like this very dramatic, intense kind of a battle sequence. Like I get intellectually, you want to kind of, you know, punctuate it with some moments of levity. 
Mm -hmm. uh, but there's some stuff there that's just so it's not that it's not funny. It's just it's 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 so not funny in the context. <laughs> but Ali, so I'm wondering, do you have any other memories that stand out of Star Wars when you were a kid? I guess I'm specifically curious about when the prequel movies came out because I was so fanatical about them. I really only remember. Well, so I like now thinking about it, I did see episodes two and three in the theaters. Episode one, for some reason, I never saw in the theater. And like I said, I didn't watch it until like last year, ever. Um, but I, I do remember how excited you were to see it and that you had gotten, before it came out, you had gotten like four, like tickets to see it like four times that weekend. Yeah, I don't recall specifically. There has uh, been a topic of much contention and it's, it's it's making me realize how old I actually am that that I have like no memory of these things that at one time I would have been able to recount to you chapter and verse like the the yeah. number of times and the places and well, I'm so just like yeah I don't I've know always, that's gone. I've always thought it was four times but it might be one of those things that at some point the the amount of times changed and I just kept telling myself it was four but I have a very distinct memory of it being four but I don't I I can admit that that might be wrong I do remember, and I feel like mom tells the story all the time, that then I also heard on the on the podcast the other day about you guys, um, like, being set up to camp out, and you were the only ones there, and then they let you in early to see it, which is super cool. Um, I did, <laughs> after we listened to that episode, I texted Chris and was like, I really think you're wrong about Josh seeing it <laughs> before that, because... Mom has, I feel like I've heard that story so many times about, oh my gosh, Josh was camping out with his friends and they even got let in to see it early. Like I, not, I, I never heard that you saw it before them. And I think no, that Chris uh, is missing something up. I don't think he is. I think he's right. No. I think it's a gap in my, yeah, I think it's a gap in my memory. Yeah. Because as soon as he said that, I was like, and wait, mom's. huh? And mom's memory. Yeah. She wouldn't know. She wouldn't she know. Would? Oh. No, she wouldn't. All right. <laughs> I think she would. No, she wouldn't know when I saw it the first time. Okay. Um, sorry, mom. Well, now I feel um, now I feel silly that I I I called Chris out, and you're like, no. <laughs> he was right. No, yeah, I'm pretty sure he's right. But what still, um, you still have in your, uh, you know, on your side of the ledger is I I I still can't remember exactly what the circumstances were early i don't remember that's the whole point it doesn't make any sense he's got a feeling that he saw it before then all right when chris said that and the specific anecdote he recalled that that sounds right that sounds right to me that stirs something anyway i remember asking you how it was and you seemed disappointed but i don't think you would say that it was bad like, you didn't want to put it down, but you also were like, I don't know that I needed to see it that many times in a row. <laughs> like, you were very like, oh, my God, I can't believe that I like, kind of sat through it that many times. Well, that certainly sounds true. Yeah. No, because no, I were definitely disappointed, but you weren't like, oh, it was terrible. I don't know. And I don't know if that was you being like, you know, you, you're still like, I can't put down the great George Lucas or if you really were like. You know, it's not a terrible movie. It's just not as great as I was built it up to be in my head before. I yeah, you know, 
those were interesting times. Um, Sean, I'm wondering what your memories were of seeing the prequels specifically, but of Star Wars in general. Um, I'm wondering what your uh, sort of the arc of your relationship with the Phantom Menace, what that was like. Oh, I'm very happy to talk about that. Um, I'm a little bit older than you. Mm-hmm. So when Return of the Jedi came out, I was three, which is too young to remember seeing it. But we had it on Laserdisc. Uh, wow. We had New Hope on Laserdisc. I actually still have that Laserdisc. And <laughs> like halfway through the movie with a lot of Laserdisc, you had to like put it back in, take it out, flip it over. Flip it over. And then put it back. Um when I was a kid, Empire Strikes Back was my favorite. I don't know exactly why, uh, but I watched that over and over again. I think it was probably Yoda. Yeah. And then, uh, I mean, I loved Return of the Jedi too. But then, as as you know, but maybe a little bit more pronounced for me because I'm older than you are, there was this dearth of Star Wars content where there was yep. nothing. Even, even before you got into like the the good books, right? There, there was this gap. So I had like uh, Sabak on my Windows 95 computer. And I had at that time, uh, do you remember zip disks? Of course I do. I but, I still have some in our, our parents' house in a drawer somewhere. Yeah. I had a I zip disk. I know my important backup files on a zip disk. You had to, 100 megs. Yeah. And, uh, I had a zip disk full of what I can only describe as the original Wikipedia before mm. there was a Wikipedia. Yeah, I had like, uh, this is what Keshek is like, and the Mount Kamalari, and, you know, the, uh, all the ships and everything. And then um, my dad uh, was a supervisor at a recycling plant. And every once in a while, he would bring me back like a jewel that someone had tried to recycle. He'd take it off the line. And it was Heir to the Empire. And that was my introduction, really, to the Star Wars novels. And from there, I consumed that trilogy, the Jedi Academy trilogy, uh, the Tales from Mos Eisley, the Courtship of Princess Leia, uh, that one that I can't remember, but takes place in, like, the outer, outer, outer rim with the... That might be Courtship of Princess Leia. No. Uh, the the one with the like the weird aliens that are coming from like the very edge of the galaxy. Yeah, yeah, the New Jedi Order uh, series. It was like a whole interconnected thing of like seventeen novels. Like that was in the later nineties. I think there was actually perhaps some some crossover with the the prequel era. Um, yeah, and, and yeah, and the it, one where they good. There's the one where they killed Chewbacca in the first book. Okay, that's where I stopped. No, yeah. I, I I refuse to read that. Oh, you're one of those. Yeah, I I am. Can I? Uh, I don't know what your level of like swearing is is on this, but it's it's anything I, goes. I was like, no goddamn motherfucker <laughs> is allowed to kill off Chewbacca oh in a book. <laughs> well, to be fair, to be fair, I think I think they crushed him with like a whole planet. So so and he went out. That went was out, the problem. Because oh, it, it? It, it, my, my understanding is um, he needs to get J, uh, Jaina and Jace and maybe little Anakin onto a ship, right? Yeah. But for some reason, he can't get on the ship, and then a moon crushes him. Yes. And 
And I feel like if Chewbacca is going to die, he needs to go down under a pile of bodies. <laughs> Fair. I, I feel like that, like a Cleon. I feel like that's the way. Yeah, I guess. Want the, no, that's fair. I guess there are some. Yeah, there's some overlap with uh, the, uh, you know, Klingon and Wookiee sort of vibes. I think. So yeah, so and, you would have to go. Not, yeah. Okay. All right. Not to skip ahead to Force Awakens, but if they had killed Chewbacca on uh, on the the planet right after Han dies. Right. I would have been okay with that. <laughs> well, know, yeah, because he, he, yeah, it's sort of like, you know, he goes down without, without, it's like he goes down with the ship. It's like, you know, if Han's gone, well then, well then all bets are off. Then I'm, I'm right. throwing in the towel. Right. There's, there's um, 58 dead stormtroopers, and then Chewbacca dies and I'm okay with that. But anyway, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we, I, I, uh, I consume those vigorously. Um, Talos the most isolated might be, uh, one of my favorite non heirs to the empire uh, stories. I just love those little like insights into the characters of the can- of the cantina. Um, yeah, I remember then, those books. The the I watched the special editions in theaters when they came out. I was disappointed with the uh, the additional scenes. Um, Greedo shooting first. Well, that's and- the big one. Yeah, I mean that's the, that's the huge one, but I felt like a lot of it didn't really add anything. And then there were like these weird like technical uh, errors that they left in, like the uh, you can see the mats around the Tie Fighters. Yeah, which is weird too, because that's one of the things that they said that they fixed. Yet you could still see them. Uh, there was another thing too that they uh, that they left in. Like uh, I I just discovered this one not that long ago. Like there's a shot in A New Hope where. Um, Luke is in his X-Wing cockpit in the end battle sequence over the Death Star and like um, one of like the tiny windows in the cockpit is still blue screen like they just I guess like <laughs> nobody noticed it <laughs> and I was like huh because what I was like close examining and zooming in on like was the the Disney Plus version so it was the latest and greatest like has has been reworked a zillion times. Right. And I'm like, oh, that's a legitimate mistake that surely somebody who who's who's doing any kind of revisions, edits, uh, revamps to this movie would ha- have caught and they just did not fix it. So other than the two Ewok movies, there was no substantial like media other than books to consume. And so, right. and I, I know that like Caravan of Courage wasn't popular and still isn't, but I loved it as a kid. Really? Yeah. Well, then once again, I think for the intended audience, <laughs> I don't think some of these things that we think of as like mistakes or misfires are actually hitting right on target. I think. Is, is it that one or the other one where the family dies at the beginning? That, the other one, uh, a okay. battle for Endor. Yeah, Battle for Endor. That one I liked a lot. In a very, in a very, oh, so you like the one where the family dies at the beginning? <laughs> yes, uh, with the exception of that part, because uh, they do that. They they have those like um, life scan sensors for each family member on their wrist, and then as mm. each one dies, the main character watches their family members' life scan signatures bleep out, 
and it's it's a very kind of morbid thing for for star wars no it's very dramatic it's a very cool concept it's just like this is a movie for like six-year-olds bro like what are you doing <laughs> right <laughs> i don't know um, there was something about it that, that i liked well there's something that i have come to believe i should give credit to um to the originator her name is elizabeth sandifer she's uh a comics writer and a critic. She's primarily known for her work on Doctor Who, but she also has written some Star Wars criticisms. And she she always says that the best children's media fucks you up just the right amount for life. <laughs> right? Like like Atreo in the swamp? Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. So, and I kind of agree with that because it's sort of like children's media is basically teaching kids how to live in the world, like what what real life is like, what the real world is like. And I think that, you know, it's a safe way to kind of help them make sense of the inexplicable, the the unfair, the horrific. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, the best, most effective children's media is the kind of stuff that like really gets to you, but not so much that you'll never watch it again. And I also think that the best children's media kind of goes over your head a little bit, but not so much that you're not connecting with it. So you have something to reach for. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, like, for example, the politics in The Phantom Menace, I think, goes over a lot of kids' heads. But you have a sense that there's something going on and it's important. You don't know exactly what it means or the details of it, but you have a sense that there's something there. Or like in my case, like the stuff with Yoda and the Empire Strikes Back, I didn't necessarily know exactly what he was talking about when he was dispensing all of this sort of Eastern philosophy and, and Buddha's wisdom. But, you know, now as an adult, I'm like, oh, I see what I see what lessons they are trying to impart in children. Mm -hmm. I see what he's talking about. Whereas when I was a kid, it was probably more like, I don't really know what that means, but it sounds real important. So so I'll just kind of go with it. <laughs> So to circle back to your original question, uh, yeah, Phantom, Phantom Menace. Yeah, when when that trailer hit, it set my life on fire. That trailer was astounding. You know, you see the, the the double lightsaber, and you have this obviously some kind of Sith Lord, and uh, my friends and I were super geeky excited about it. When did that come out? Ninety uh, nine. The yeah, the trailer came out, I think it may have come out in 98, in around November 98, but I'm not 100%. I know uh, there was a second trailer that came out in like March, April 99, uh, trailer B, oh, as, okay. it's known, as it's known in the, uh, in the biz. In the biz. <laughs> um, now, in, in November 98, I was 18 years old, and I was still 100% all the way psyched for it. I've, I feel like we had never seen a trailer like that. For any other movie, I think definitely not for any kind of franchise movie or anything that you looked forward to. And then finally to have Star Wars back again on the big screen, it was it was mind blowing. And growing up, I had heard like in interviews or whatever, people who talked about seeing A New Hope for the first time in theaters and describing it as magic. Like the whole experience was magical. And I was like, ah, yes, finally. I get to sup at that table, but then um, <laughs> it didn't uh, satiate necessarily that hunger all the way for that magic. 
So let me ask you then, Sean, was that something that you were, you knew by your first viewing that, that these weren't the droids you're looking for, or was it sort of, did it take a little longer for it to sink in? Cause that's an interesting phenomenon I've noticed with a lot of Star Wars fans. Like we're so invested with the movie being good. The idea that it could be anything less than the most amazing thing we'd ever seen was hard to get to. I think it took a little while because I think that initial like riding the roller coaster of it's finally here. It's been uh, what 20, 23 years or what, however long it is. I'm not good at math and my memory is terrible. 16 years since Return of the Jedi. All right. 16 years since Return of the yeah. Jedi. I think it just I think just being there and it was so overwhelming and the action sequences were, were fantastic. I think the CGI probably would still for the most part hold up pretty well with, you know, some notable exceptions, but on rewatch, I feel like the pacing on uh, the more political things are uh, really lags. And now I have trouble staying awake during some of those parts, but, and I'm well, into that could just also, I mean, that could just also be a little bit of age. I mean, let's be honest. Like I can't, <laughs> I have trouble uh, staying awake during things sometimes as well. That's it, it could be Josh. Yeah. Um, so I know that you and Sean like know each other, but you've never met in person. And like, I don't know if you realized how big of a Star Wars fan he is. So I just wanted to share. You did tell me, I believe, while we, when we were doing our our watch through that um, you grew your hair out. Oh, and I wanted I wanted that to be shared. That's how big of a Star Wars fan Sean has been his whole life. I attempted a Padawan braid after really? episode one. Yes. Wow. I, I had traditionally uh, shaved my head very short, like a buzz cut. And then after episode one, I had attempted to grow out just that hair so that it could be braided. So you couldn't have hated it that much. No, I didn't hate it. No, I definitely <laughs> yeah. didn't hate it. I definitely didn't hate it. It was super exciting in theaters. And no, but, you know, given time. I, I've come to different conclusions. I thought you were going to say you wanted to like, to like be a Wookiee or something, but uh, uh, that makes much more, that makes much more sense. It's more attainable. I probably would have explained it better if I could remember the word Padawan, but I was like, you can grow his hair. Sean, you can take it now. After yeah. <laughs> you so, know what I'm talking so about. So when I, when I would buzz my hair, I would skip that bit right there by the ear. Right. And uh, I never really got it long enough. Thankfully, probably. Uh, does it ever kind of twig you out? Like every once in a while in in pop culture, like I'll hear like a Star Wars prequel reference and it always blows my mind that that the prequels have also entered pop culture to some degree. Like the word I hear quite often, well, not quite often, but, but the word I've heard more than once in like random pop culture is Padawan. Like, oh, my young Padawan. Mm. Yeah, no, it does. Yeah, I'm always like, Really weird. Yeah, it doesn't feel like that was twenty four years ago. Yeah, but it was. You know, it feels more like maybe six. <laughs> <laughs> but my ability to track time is severely lacking. Yeah. So no, it, it does surprise me. Yeah. I do have one more memory of Josh with Star Wars. You got. I don't. You'll probably remember which version of Windows this was, but you had a computer where you installed something on Windows. So when you booted your computer up, it said, patience, young Jedi. 
Oh, Windows 98 is loading. It was Windows 98. Patience, young Jedi. Windows 98 is loading. I have no memory of that, but that sounds indisputably correct. <laughs> yep. So could I just say, though, that you had asked us to do this podcast with you, and it had been, like, close to, if not already, a year since we'd done the rewatch. Yeah. Well, rewatch of most of them for me, except rewatch plus Phantom Menace for me. And Sean was like, okay, we should probably rewatch them again, because I don't remember, like, exactly... You know, when we when I watched them with you, like what your reactions were and what my, you know, so we were going to rewatch them and we started with The Phantom Menace and partway through, I was like, I don't, I don't think I can do this again. Like, and we, and then we got busy and didn't watch the rest of them. But like Phantom Menace, I was like, I don't want to watch this one again. Like I was like, there's a reason why that was the only one I'd never seen. And I was like, yeah, I'm kind of fine with seeing it the one time. I do. I mean, I like Qui-Gon a lot. There's things that are that are nice about it, but as a whole, it's like it's kind it's not great to sit through, unfortunately. I am a person that's into like political intrigue and like you can definitely keep me interested in like trade disputes and stuff like that, but I feel like there's just something missing. Yeah. From all of that. A lot of Star Trek is kind of like that. You know, it's it's that drier, more political stuff and i i'll drink from that cup all day long but i i don't know if it's the dialogue or the pacing or or the direction yeah it's kind of hard to put my finger on as well you know something we were talking about in our phantom menace pod is the way that the movie has all these threads but they never really seem cohesive it's like it's like you seem yeah. it, it kind of feels like you're in like three or four different movies and I think, you know, just for me, the stakes of the political stuff aren't clear. Yeah. And it's only, you know, like we, uh, they call it refrigerator logic. It's, it's, it's stuff that you don't really think about until, you know, you wake up in the middle of the night to get a glass of water and you're standing by the fridge and you're like, oh, that's what that meant. But usually those things aren't supposed to be like central plot points <laughs> of the movie that you're yeah. watching it seems like the the intent of the the political subplot should have been clearer in order to make the stakes clearer beyond some like vague like oh the the government is bad and it's not it's not helping us so we have to fix it ourselves and it's not really clear exactly why things are going on the way that they're going on when i think it's a pretty actually it's a pretty compelling thesis, like as a mission statement for Star Wars, it's basically saying, you know, corporate greed is the root of all evil is basically what it's saying. And it's saying, you know, government has to has to stand as uh, a bulwark to greed. And when it doesn't, then you get fascism. I mean, I'm on board with that, but like that is just it's very unclear that that's what the movie is trying to say. Yeah. I feel like to flash forward to much more recently, I feel like Andor handles it really well. There's a lot of political intrigue in there. There's a lot of political discussion. There's a lot of fascist ideologies that are being displayed and and they do it so well. So we know that it works. Yeah. And Andor was wonderful. I like I kind of I'm still in shock at how amazing it was. And it makes you like really think about the consequences of being a rebel and like, and all of that really works for me because I'm, you know, I'm in a lot of leftist circles and we kind of like think about that kind of stuff, you know, like 
okay, if you're going to be nonviolent, you know, there's consequences to that. And then if you're going to be violent, there's consequences to that. Like the extremes of different ways of like trying to overthrow fascism. Yeah. Well, to be fair. Yeah. Like, like I agree with you. I think that Andor is fantastic and amazing. And the, the other thing that I kind of struggle with my one criticism, which isn't even a criticism. It's like, is it too good to be star Wars? And I don't mean that in a facile way. Like, what I'm saying is, like, Star Wars was never a site for that kind of, like, really authentic rendering of, like, real revolution or, like, social change. It, um, it makes sense that it, that it can be, though. It makes sense that it can be. It makes yeah, sense that it can be. You look at the world allegories from, you know, the original trilogy. Like, they didn't go into it that hard, you know, like, emotionally and, like, I don't know, grittiness wise, but like, but really like it, it totally makes sense that you right. could take no, but, like they, you know, this yes. is like children's cartoon that all of a sudden like people are dying in and it's gory. Like it, it makes sense. I do see what you're saying. And that's kind of actually what I was thinking when you said something, I think one of the books Sean had mentioned, you're like, this is, you know, this is a, a, a children's movie guy. And I was thinking, well, yeah, you could have the same criticism though about Andor, which I guess is now you're saying you kind of do. Well, no, but I mean, I don't think that Andor is a children's show. No, though. it's totally not. Right. So, I mean, that's my point. Like, like, and I think, you know, when we live in a media kind of ecosystem where, you know, the strategy is divide the audience into segments and give each one exactly their version of Star Wars. And that's like how you get the like platter of Star Wars. Like what, what it, what it kind of does is, um, you know, Andor can coexist with all these other flavors of Star Wars, but I don't think it can stand as like the quintessential Star Wars uh, because yeah. it's not, because it's not for kids. It's not like, I think, you know, Star Wars is kind of simplistic. And again, I don't mean that in a demeaning way. I mean it, you know, in a way that hints at these larger things in a way that may go over kids' heads, but isn't too much for them to grapple with. Like if you sent a kid, if you sent a nine-year-old in front of Andor, if you showed a nine-year-old season one of, of Andor, like I don't think they would even be able to sit through it. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm glad that Brolin actually isn't interested in that. Because, um, though that uh, said, like, you know, I don't think... Like, like just as a, a piece of drama, like just as a TV series, like Andor may be as good as Star Wars has ever been on that front. Like when you're judging it solely, you know, in those terms, but I think as Star Wars, I don't think I could bring myself to say it is the best Star Wars there is. Oh, Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because I've been having a lot of thoughts about actually not about Star Wars, but about, um, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We saw Guardians of the Galaxy three, which I know you're not into Marvel, so I don't know. Like, but but I mean, you're I, I'm sure you're friends with a lot of people who are into Marvel. Guardians of the Galaxy three. That is the most I've cried at a movie ever. If we weren't in the theater, I would have been bawling, like wailing. I never want to sit through that movie again. I'm really glad I saw it because. I care about these characters, but I'm really sensitive to animal stuff. And I did hear, I did see in interviews, you know, it was like hinted at like that it would be tough, but there, 
the marketing for it though like they're this sh- should not like kids should not see this movie it was like hard f- it's i'm weeks later i'm still like grappling with this this movie it was like traumatic to sit through and mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of other people say the same thing and put like trigger warnings. You know, there's like articles about how it should come with a trigger warning and none of that is in the marketing. And then, you know, McDonald's has like Happy Meal toys, which like makes sense sort of for the first two movies. It does not well, that's interesting movie. So it's, it's just, it just gets real dark. And uh, yeah, so I don't, but like and but Andor, I don't isn't like marketed to kids. I think Star Wars is more like they market it. There's so many different pieces now that they market it to who they like. There, there's like a a cartoon on Disney Plus. God, I don't remember what it's called, but it's like shorts. Younglings. Is it Younglings? Is I think that it's it? Younglings. It's like no, shorts for preschoolers, and yeah. you know that's not marketed to adults. They're not like, Oh, you have to watch this or else you're going to like miss out on Canon or, you know? Yeah. Whereas I think with Marvel, they, they need, might need to figure out how to kind of be a little more, I don't know, market. I I don't know. I just, that's, it's an interesting thing to bring it up about star Wars, but I think star Wars does it better. No, no, I hear what you're saying. And I think, um, you know, I can't really speak to the Marvel stuff because I'm not, I'm not a fan of that stuff and I haven't, really seen the vast majority of it but i do get the sense that uh there's kind of a marvel like strategy with star wars in terms of creating like different sort of segments of the audience like you know there's like wandavision and like loki and stuff like that where you don't necessarily have to watch the films that they put out to kind of enjoy those on its own terms um at least so I'm told. I don't really know. Uh, but it is interesting. Like, do you think that Guardians of the Galaxy 3 was out of step with the first two movies? Uh, because, like, there's a world where, and arguably we live in that world, but, um, you know, episode three, Revenge of the Sith, kind of goes to a very dark place that I don't know if episodes one and two would have prepared you for, uh, you know, the full grisly horror of, of what happens to Anakin Skywalker. But on that note, and again, I appreciate that you did this rewatch a year ago already, but I think that's sort of fine because I'm kind of more interested in the overall impressions. And I guess my main question is watching. So you watched you watched episodes one through nine. So the Phantom Menace to the Rise of Skywalker. Is that right? Yes. And Solo and, and Rogue One. Um. So does the story hang together? Does it work? as one long story, episode one to nine, I guess is my overall question when you watch it that way. I would say for the most part, yes. Yeah, I think it does. I mean, it's it's clear that like this wasn't planned from the beginning, but it I think it I think it works. Yeah, I mean there's there's some inconsistencies inconsistencies there. Right. But and and some choices that I would have preferred not been made. But for the most part, I think if you look at it as a single piece, it probably works okay. Well, to get more specific, does the Anakin downfall redemption thing play when you watch them one through six? Like, because my question is always is always been like, it seems to me that 
uh, this whole idea of Anakin falling from grace and then living a life as a villain and then his ultimate redemption by his son at the end of Return of the Jedi, to me, is kind of like more of an intellectual idea that like has all of like the kind of components in the right places. But like, I don't know if it's really yet emotional journey that you feel like you're going on with the movies themselves. Uh, I feel like his redemption arc is almost more like an in-world redemption arc. Yeah. Like, like perhaps a piece of propaganda, the rebellion would, <laughs> would spread than necessarily what we witnessed. I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense. But... No, I get what you're saying. Yeah, it's it's kind of like, you know, the rebellion could be like, you know, and Darth Vader recanted at the very end, like in his dying breaths, you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, it's really interesting, like the way that this character arc was arrived at was kind of completely backwards. Like it right. just sort of, you know, Darth Vader was not Anakin Skywalker when he made Star Wars. So then, right. you know, by that point in the saga, if you're watching three and then four, you're watching with the knowledge that he was once a good guy. And there's kind of like very little, it seems to me, to really grab onto in Star Wars, A New Hope, that this is the same character who's struggling with any of the stuff that you'd seen in the previous three movies, it seems to me. Uh, I, I think I agree with that pretty much in its totality. I think what I would have preferred was no little Anakin. Phantom Menace picks us up on a young mm -hmm. Anakin, like uh, maybe late teens, early 20s. We get two movies of Anakin, and then the third prequel, uh, he has his fall at the end of the second one, and he is Darth Vader for the entirety of the third movie. And he gets a ton of screen time. That's interesting. And we, and we see why he is feared, and but we also get to see that struggle while he's newly Vader. And then I think that would have given us the context for Return of the Jedi. Okay, what's I, his... What's his total screen time in A New Hope and Empire, right? It's Well, that's interesting. Do you think you would have wanted to see him in the suit for the third movie? Yeah, I, th I yeah. think so. I think if you're going to go back and you're going to do the prequels, then you have to. It works in A New Hope and Empire because he's mysterious. He's this uh, kind of looming figure that's... Uh, in the background that you don't, you don't need it because he's, he's a villain. And then the, what happens in return of the Jedi is kind of enough. But if you're going to add three movies, a backstory, you kind of need more backstory for Anakin and for him to be conflicted. And so I would say, yeah, at, at the end, you end the second prequel movie on Mustafar with the duel with Obi-Wan and you pick it up with him newly in the suit and uh, the, both the physical and emotional and mental struggles that he goes through and then why why he is this villain that is feared yeah that's interesting uh what do you think about that ali about that idea yeah i i think that would have worked a lot better the turn was my favorite of the prequels is episode three but that's almost like more frustrating because i feel like parts of it work and then all of a sudden it i'm like wait what how did he just turn so fa like i get what you're saying when you're like you know the, all the parts are there but does it work like the execution of it just doesn't work really 
at all. And so when you're watching it, it's also hard to like divorce yourself from the knowledge that four, five, and six were written and released and everything before one, two, and three. And so you know, like, okay, this isn't, this story wasn't written like this. So yeah, I don't, that part doesn't really work. Anakin's turn into Vader. Um, And that's part of why I like all the supplemental stuff. Like, I know that a lot of people didn't like the Obi-Wan series, but... Who didn't like the Obi-Wan series? I I love the Obi-Wan series. Yeah, we loved it. We (laughs) did. But... She's in the dark corners of the internet. Yeah, that's that's the problem. When I start... When I I start, like, getting into a fandom, it started with Marvel stuff, and now I'm in this in Star Wars 2, which is... Star Wars is a lot more... Never read the comments. Never read the comments. Yeah, well, I do. So... A lot of people didn't like um, the Obi-Wan series, but I loved a lot of it, most of it. And yeah, Hayden Christensen and Ewan McGregor back, like their scenes were great. I mean, mo- you know, Ewan McGregor yeah. was in a lot of it, but like like Vader's scenes with him, they just worked so well. And like, I love all that, you know, filling in these gaps. Like, I, and I also think that's a, that's a really unique thing to Star Wars that I really like. You know, like Clone Wars filled in some gaps and i feel like because that was so successful like now you know mandalorian starting to fill in some gaps between six and seven and they're like going in these interesting directions to be like well this didn't really work but how can we make it work with all these other pieces which i is in some ways you're like oh my god there's more like in order in order for this to work i have to go back and watch this and this but it like i don't know that's like exciting to me because for some reason, even someone who, like, didn't love Star Wars as a kid, I mean, I've always had, like, a fondness for it through, probably through you, <laughs> but, like, you, like, want it to work. You know, the parts that are good are really good, and so the parts that are not as good are frustrating. <laughs> so, like... That's a really great way to put that, I think. It's funny, so, like, watching 1, 2, and 3, especially, I'm, like parts of the I get I see what he was trying to do it doesn't execution wise doesn't really work and then I listened to your your pod with um with Hal and was like oh okay and I I haven't been able to download those yet like I if they were like more easily available oh you're talking about the Hal 9000 fan edits yeah like I really want to watch well because the whole time we're watching them I'm like there's a better movie in here somewhere and I'm sure that well, let's talk after the recording and maybe they might find their way into your hands. You know, I, and I, I love that people kind of do fill in the gaps or re-edit stuff because you just want things to work better than they do. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. Um, I think that, you know, I was saying this on the Obi-Wan pod that we did. I think that series, you know, really offers a compelling alternate universe where like that story the emotional core of that show is really like a way that episode four of the saga could have played out with the prequel movies that we had, you know, like it kind of works as is where you get this huge shift from episode three to four, where it's like, oh, it's about his son. Now it's not about him. Like that story's over. And now we're seeing things from a completely different point of view. But I feel like it's a very logical, it's like, it's like as a viewer, you want to see stuff like when Obi-Wan finds out that Anakin is alive and is Vader. Like you want to see right. them confront each other in a real way 
Um, not in the way that they do in Star Wars A New Hope when theoretically that's them seeing each other again. But in reality, that's not what the 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 dynamics of that scene, that lightsaber duel that they have in Star Wars, it's like that is not the follow up to what we see in episode three. It's just not. That sort of emotional payoff is like what you would want to see in the next movie. Yeah, it's sort of like the Obi-Wan series is closer to the episode three that Sean would have wanted. Kinda. You know, and that's what's nice about all of these like supplemental pieces that are kind of coming in at all different points in the Sky... Well, so far the Skywalker saga, but I know there's, you know, other things possibly in the works about being in Star Wars and not, you know, being in this time period or in this um, really revolving around this like main story. But yeah, like they are filling in the gaps and making it like more interesting and dynamic and you sort of get it more a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of of two minds about it because obviously like if it's good, it's good. And if it's like Star Warsy, then it's it's Star Warsy. But I'm like, I kind of almost wish that like, I don't know if Star Wars really exists beyond this moment in like the historical timeline of star wars like i think like there's something really fundamental about the specific conflict and the personalities involved that i don't think star wars outside of the quote-unquote galactic civil war and like the the generational conflict it's like i just think that's something so central to what star wars is that like you know one of the announced films sounds kind of interesting the the dawn of the jedi movie that's about like the beginning of the jedi like thousands and thousands of years in the past like that sounds cool but like is it really star wars or is it just like something that's in star wars clothing that they will call star wars that i will see because it is star wars right does that make any sense am i articulating myself properly i think so i think i think what you're saying is the the empire and the conflict that revolves around the empire is pretty essential to to the star to, for it to be star wars in a way that we recognize yeah yeah that's more or less what i'm saying yeah and i don't think you can really escape like like even the prequels for my money only really work as a prelude to that story not a story in and of themselves and oh, yeah. You know, maybe there was a version of those stories that could have worked on their own. Uh, But I find it personally very baffling. Apparently, you know, George Lucas believes he said numerous times that the intended order to watch them as episodes one through six. And I'm just like, that's not the most effective way to watch the story you told. It's 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 just not. Because you're not like. It doesn't grab you in one through three enough to continue, is what you're saying? Potentially, but I just think, you know, the original trilogy is a better introduction to the world. I think that the, you know, like you were saying, Allie, the the downfall of Anakin doesn't really, well, I guess it's impossible to know how it how it plays without knowing what happens later. I mean, you would have to, it's like, you know, with my daughter, I will maybe do an experiment even though she already knows so much of like so you sent her were you the one who sent her the um the star wars five minute stories no i don't th- i sent her the search your feelings book and yeah well she loves all of them the point is she's another one i don't know i don't think it was that one though. yeah she said to me the other day she's like i like star wars daddy and i was like oh wow okay well <laughs> uh, 
like she's she's recognizing things like because like she has like four or five star wars no she has six kids star wars things now and they retell like little segments of the movies in like a children's storybook format right and like she remembers the different tellings from the different things like so like she she remembers there was a thing that was talking about the forest moon of endor and she was like the ewoks live there and i'm like i'm like like, so so i think that this hypothetical experiment that like one day she's gonna watch star wars and not know what happens later is just already out the window because i just think through osmosis like she's going to piece it all together and there's this phenomenon i was talking to another friend of mine who has little cousins who are like really into star wars and like she was trying to connect with them yes caroline i'm talking about you if you're listening um (laughs) and she was like yeah like my favorite star wars is return of the jedi like what do you think of that and the kids are like what is that right (laughs) so so it's like you know like you can you can be a star wars fan as a kid and not even have seen the movies that's exciting for them like they're so into something and then you know their cousin is like oh there's there's all these movies and then they get to watch it for the same time already being super invested in the world. That's awesome. No, it's true. It's very true. And I think, you know, something I'd say a lot is that George Lucas says that he very intentionally sat down to create like a new mythology for children. And I think in that sense, he succeeded wildly, I think beyond even his own expectations of what that actually means. It's like, you know, Star Wars isn't just a series of, very popular movies it's even beyond something that you know the lexicon has kind of entered pop culture and it like really is like these ideas these symbols these um it's like a place that exists where um it exists independent of itself it exists independent of specific movies or specific entries in the canon it's just a thing it's this omnipresent always there thing that is alive and vital and that that is as much a creation of you know i don't want to call them fans because it makes it sound transactional but but like at this point it's a creation of like the public imagination as much as it is whatever officially licensed property they release on disney plus or in movie theaters yeah seems to me no that's all that totally makes sense so i don't know if when we did the rewatch i was going based off of like my impression of Star Wars was like from growing up with you or, you know, I did see the movies, but not, you know, I wasn't like really super paying attention and like remembering everything when I, you know, watched one here and then another there. Or if it was just, yeah, like the society, like media, like knowing things just from it being around and a part of our culture now. Yeah, well, for example, like like everyone knows that Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father. Right. I mean, even if you've never seen Star Wars, like, you know that. Yeah. And like, what's really interesting is that twist, quote unquote, has taken on this life in, you know, cultural memory as like one of the greatest cinematic twists of all time. Yet the movies are fighting against the idea that it's a twist. Like if you're watching them one through six Mm. or one through nine, whatever, they're not treating it as a twist. Right. And... I think it's a tricky thing when you're doing a prequel, it's especially to something that like is so firmly 
embedded in popular culture as Star Wars is because like on the one hand, you want to do your own thing and um, not be beholden to what people think Star Wars is. But on the other hand, it's like the gravity of it is so strong, you can't escape it. So like, I don't know that the twist of Darth Vader being Luke's father is something worth preserving, like in the context of the movies, because it's already sort of blown up as it were, uh, because of just like existing in the world. It's just like up there with like, you know, Rosebud or something. And I think the movie, well, I guess I'm talking myself into circles here because like, I don't like that the prequels kind of destroy the narrative logic of the Empire Strikes Back because it, oh, the prequels do two things that make the Empire Strikes Back less effective. The introduction of Yoda in the Empire Strikes Back, you don't know that this is Yoda. I mean, even if you suspect like that whole game he's playing where he's like some, you know, silly little frog that that is <laughs> not. He's a space hobo. <laughs> right, exactly. He's a space hobo. Uh, like that reveal doesn't really work. And also the, uh, obviously the reveal that Vader has been Anakin Skywalker this whole time doesn't really work. And it's sort of like, it, it makes the audience ask questions for longer than I think they're meant to. Like, why is Yoda acting like this? How long is he going to be acting like this? Mm. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Or like, what is he doing? It's like, why is he being so silly? Like, there is maybe a reading where it's like, oh my God, like, has how long has Yoda been all alone on this planet? Like, has he really lost his mind? Um, I, I do feel like that's a little bit how, like, I I mean, I know who, I knew who Yoda was going into the, like, the rewatch and everything, but I did a little bit like, holy crap, like the difference between Yoda in the prequels and Yoda in the original trilogy, this, in the original trilogy is stark. I think I commented that. I, I'm pretty sure I said something about that, like that. And then I was like, you know, I like Yoda better in the the original trilogy. And then I think you talked me into like, okay, but when he was younger. He had a little he, bit more vigor 18 years ago. He Yeah. And I was like, all right, no, that tracks. It does track. I like, I love Yoda in, in Empire. And I just, I wish there was more of that in the prequels, but I understand like it, he's in a much different stage in his life and in, you know, different context of like the world he lives in is, has completely changed or the, the universe he lives in has completely. Yeah. We don't know the, psych dial the psychedelic properties of those frogs he's been eating. Uh, That's true. So. <laughs> That's true. We don't know what was in that, that stew he was making for Luke. Like, <laughs> um, I love that scene in Empire when I was a kid, by the way, when we first meet Yoda and then Yoda's hitting yeah, R2. he's hitting R2 with the stick. Yeah. Mine, yeah. <laughs> I hope you're not. Actually, um, earlier you mentioned remembering us rewatching a scene with 3PO over and over. Yeah. I remember from high school when my friends and I rewatched Empire, um, there's a scene where he's teaching Luke, where Yoda's teaching Luke, and He's saying concentrate and then he like falls. Concentrate. Uh, and in high school, we thought that was hilarious, which like now I'm like, really? Like, I feel like when I was maybe a little younger than that, that would that should have hit that hard. But like we rewatched that like four or five times. I mean, you never know how these things are going to hit. Yeah, but, but <laughs> I, your story reminded me of that. 
and I'll, I'll just never forget that. I don't know why it was just, it was good. I think that's a testament to the puppeteers and to, oh, yeah. um, Frank Oz. Frank Oz. Yeah. You know, uh, to your earlier point, Sean, I think I'm agnostic on whether or not Anakin should have been Vader in episodes three. Like the formalist in me likes the sort of mirroring structure of like basically the idea is that Luke and Anakin are supposed to be paralleling each other. And it's just that they make different choices at different junctures. So, so, uh, so part of me really likes that. I would hate to lose that, but I do see what you're saying. Oh, but also in service of that too, that's yet another reason why I do think that, that, um, Anakin should have not been nine years old in episode one. He should have been a little older, uh, closer in age to Luke in Star Wars, A New Hope, not only in service of that structure, but also because, you know, I said earlier that I find the arc of Anakin slash Vader to be kind of an intellectual idea. It's like, it's like, you know, more of an intellectual exercise and less of like a, a journey that I'm, I'm on along with this character. Um, mm. I don't really connect with it emotionally. And part of the reason is it's this character played by so many different performers, so many different actors, and mm. you don't even have the same face to kind of empathize with for that long. Like the young Anakin is played by two actors who are just not the same person. And I think, you know, Hayden Christensen as the face of Anakin Skywalker who's ostensibly the main character of these movies, you only see his face in two movies out of six. Right. So you're losing one third of his potential screen time by depicting him as a child with a younger actor. I feel like that, that really makes the story like more of an intellectual exercise and like less of a, like, here's a character you're really supposed to empathize with. Yeah, I think... I think when you take that third away with the with the younger Anakin, the youngest Anakin, I think you're taking away like a third of his humanity, right? Yeah. He doesn't have, he doesn't have a face. He doesn't have eyes. For three movies, except for that little bit there at the end of Return of the Jedi, spoilers, you know, he doesn't have a human face. And then he has Hayden Christensen's face for two movies. But then there's that whole that you're right. There's that whole movie where there's a face that you can't really relate to. And he's kind of a little bit of annoying. And you don't really see a connection between that youngest Anakin and that young adult Anakin. There's right. You don't there. You don't see how this kid could go to this young adult. There's not really a bridge there. That makes right. sense. Right. I found it really jarring. It is. Yeah. But also I found it really jarring because. I don't know if this was just like the culture or because, you know, obviously I'd seen two and three. I know that Anakin and Padme get together. And so then watching one, I'm like, what? What in the world? Yeah. What the fuck? The, That's yeah, so that makes that, that, that makes that very uncomfortable viewing. It's not like they have any like weird chemistry in the first one or anything that makes it like, oh, was she, you know, was she right. planning this all along? But it's still like the knowledge of it. You're like, I don't want to that I I that made me super uncomfortable <laughs> because I was just like he's a literal child in this movie and she's not I mean you know she's she's young but she's not a child she's supposed They're to be just... 14 she's supposed to be 14 in that in that movie not that that really makes it any better but um 
No, I mean, that's true as well. And that's why, you know, the love story in the second one has so much heavy lifting to do because there was, there could not have been any chemistry in the first movie because right. one of the characters was a literal child. Right. Why did he make, I just, why did he make that choice? That just he seems says, very odd. Like you could have made them a similar age. And if they were both kids and like, kind of, you know, like, oh, you know, and then as I grew up, like fell in, like that would make sense. Just yeah, I mean, it would work. It would Dad. work. I mean, if you're going to make Anakin a child, then make Padme at least played by a different a different actor so that yeah, they seem like they're on. Like, you're like, she looks not that much older, but yeah, she like, looks exactly the same. Anakin yeah. is literally a different actor. Yeah, and he's you know, he's aged way faster or, you know, like the Padme that we see in episode one is the same Padme. Yeah, we get in episode two. Right. The Anakin we get in episode one is not the Anakin we get. And there's no connection there. Right. No, no connection there whatsoever, which is weird, too, because the the idea, at least on paper, is that Padme is supposed to be 14 in episode one and 24 in episode two. And that and that just doesn't come across at all. She I mean, like you said, she seems like she's exactly the same character from one to two. I think when we watched it, I was like, really like, what? This is like disturbing knowing that they get together and and you were like, yeah, but she's supposed she's like only supposed to be a teenager here. Like you weren't like, oh, no, this is great. But, right. you know, I and I'm like that doesn't read at all. Well, so so this is the thing. He's so much younger in the in episode one. The reason that George Lucas made him a child in episode one, he says, is because he knew that a big reason for his fall was the attachment that he had to his mother. And when he loses his mother, he's he's unable to let go of that attachment. And he thought that that would make more sense if he was taken away from his mother as a child versus as somebody slightly older. I don't necessarily agree that that's true. You um, could have done it a different way. You could have had like a like, oh, that's the very beginning of the movie. And then, you know, you know, and yeah, then, yeah, I mean, you know, after, but still like the beginning ish to towards middle, then you have like an older Anakin. Like I just, yeah. Focusing so much on this child for the whole movie and then having this jump where it's just a, where like some, you know, like Padme is the same essentially, but for Anakin, he's totally different. You know, he's grown up so much. I think some skilled flashbacks would have, yeah. Would have done service enough to that. And having a younger actor in a flashback just makes sense. We haven't really done flashbacks in Star Wars. It wasn't really in the vocabulary until, I guess, arguably The Last Jedi, but that's sort of later on. And even then, I think the flashbacks in Last Jedi are actually in keeping with the DNA of Star Wars because it's like it's like kind of a Rashomon thing, uh, which is Akira Kurosawa, which is in the DNA of Star Wars. Uh, but it's a whole separate, a whole separate. Uh, okay. Line thank of thought. You. Yeah, you were saying a lot of words that I was like, I, I'm sure these are things that... And some of them were Japanese. So. Sorry, yeah. sorry. My I, apologies. John generally gets your references, so... I guess, I guess in the interest of starting to wrap up here, I'm wondering, watching the movies in that chronological marathon you had, did your impressions of anything change, or were you surprised by anything on this viewing? I think for me, it just kind of solidified the the problems that I perceived to be in in one through three. So so seven to nine, I think for the most part, fall pr- 
pretty much in line. I do have some issues, but we don't have time for those. <laughs> <laughs> but I, for it, it, that feels more organic to me than the prequels do. And probably, probably part of that is that it's easier to make sequels than it is to make prequels. So, but the, I think the, like the scripting, the dialogue, I think the directing there, there's some really great actors in there. And I feel like those are probably some of the worst performances that those actors give in their careers. That, and I, you know, that's an opinion, but we know that Natalie Portman is an incredible actress. And even at that time, movies that she did around that she really turns in a performance and you know uh, i i think a little bit of like mark hamill if you watch some of his old interviews he talks about the dialogue and like some the things that he still remembers that kind of torture him a little bit and i feel like we see that in episodes uh, one through three i would i found myself wanting episode three to go harder and darker interesting than it did that's pretty dark i mean he kills kids he kills kids it's Yes, off screen, off screen. It's it's largely off screen, and it's implied. And I think I'm okay with that. But I feel like even the reaction to that needs to be a little bit more like visceral. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obi Wan's. I mean, it's kind of like a famous meme line now when he's talking about the security footage and stuff. Yeah, and there's not enough there. And I know the Jedi are kind of supposed to be removed and not emotional, but if anything's going to make you emotional, it has to be your apprentice killing 30 kids on camera. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And Padme's reaction to that news needs to be more because she shouldn't have any kind of like training or like emotional barrier to that. And mm. I, I don't know. I think, I think three needed to go at least a little bit darker and all of the political stuff needed to be like punched up in a way that made people like want to watch it and make more sense. Yeah. I just, I just wish it, it was more cohesive. Yeah. I definitely wish the political stuff made more sense because the trade stuff could be super interesting if it was done well. Um, also Anakin kills, I mean, I understand sort of understand the thing about his mother passing away, but then he, he kills innocent people and they're in episode two. And I feel like no one, they're like, oh, that's not great, but they're not human. So, eh. And you're like, yeah. eh. And that hit really hard after um, I we had watched Book of Boba Fett. Yeah. Right. And like I said, episode, I think, two, where they- Yeah, the second episode, yeah. They give, I'm really sorry that I'm blanking on their species name and I don't want to call them- The Tusken Raiders. The Tusken Raiders, yeah. I didn't want to- I mean, I can say it, but you know, I don't want to refer to them as the sand people. Yeah, because um, it just seems like a it just seems like a racial now. slur. Yeah, it yeah, does. and so like, that kind of stuff is actually is interesting, but also like upsetting. <laughs> you know, watching watching it now, like episode two, he kills the Tuscan Raiders, and like even you know, then you go back and watch the original trilogy, and Luke is talking about the sand people, and you're just like these fucking white people. I don't know. I just like, yeah. No, I mean, it's weird, like, um, and we talk about this on um, our episode two pod and our episode three pod, so I won't rehash it in too much detail. But yeah, um, there's some some unexamined, I think, racism that is imported in service of paying homage to things that George Lucas was a fan of that I think, especially after that specific episode that you're referring to, that does a lot to flush out the the Tuscans and make you see them more as as people um, is right. certainly much more problematic in light of that. There's also 
I feel like Chewie in um in the original trilogy doesn't get his due. First of all, he doesn't get a medal. That's not okay. Well, that's one of the things that Rise of Skywalker, we're all thankful that Rise of Skywalker swooped in at the very end to right that wrong. Um, and then and some, Leia, some Leia, like, talks down to him in a way that seems, like, feels very racist also. I don't remember what she says, but... Somebody get this big walking carpet out of my way. Yes. No reward and is worth this. Like, you're like, okay, in this universe, like, aliens are kind of, like, different races. Like, you don't... You know, and that just feels super shitty. I'd rather kiss a Wookiee. That's that, what that's that the one can, I was thinking of. That can be I arranged. just assume, uh, yeah. yeah. That's that's the one I was thinking of. I'd rather kiss a Wookiee. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well just like come on, Leia. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean I think that's I think that's interesting. I think it speaks to the levels of, you know, implicit sort of casual racism that was just, you know, cost of doing business in a way that is uh less you know, I feel very similar about Star Trek. Whenever Dr. McCoy makes fun of Spock's ears or his green blood or something, I'm like, you're being really racist, you good old Southern boy, you. Like, that's, yep. it's, it's very, very uncomfortable. And it's also uncomfortable how everyone just kind of laughs it off. First interracial kiss on American television, but <laughs> you yeah. green blooded bastard. <laughs> yeah. There's, you know, sometimes it's done to like sort of point something out. And I don't ever feel like in Star Wars it's done to be like, oh, isn't this horrible? I do. In episode two, when he kills the Tusken Raiders, I do think that's a little bit like, oh, here's a glimpse of he has some darkness to him. Yes. But I don't think it's like, oh, he committed a hate crime. Like, I don't think that it went there, but it. No, 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 it certainly didn't go there because he confesses his, his crime to Padme, who basically says, and we all make mistakes. It's like, right. it's like, you know, the movie itself isn't right. Like if the movie, if the movie or series or whatever is like, is set condemning it. Right. That's one thing, you know, but if it's, if it's just, you know, this is fine. It's just how it is. Like that's, that's not great. Oh, which I will point out something that Hal 9000's fan edit of episode two does. That's really a very elegant solution is he still has Anakin kill the Tuscans, but he cuts out the scene where he tells Padme about it. So then it just becomes this thing that the audience now knows he's capable of, but nobody else knows. And Padme certainly doesn't know. Yeah. That, that works a lot better. That's, yeah. oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so just to wrap up, so Sean, so it sounds like for you, it just kind of reaffirmed the the issues that you had originally. And Ali, uh, it seems like in a lot of ways, like this was the first time you were really watching them. It was, you know, with, yeah. you know, with a critical eye. It, yeah, definitely. Sean, that actually leads me to believe, I know we're going over time here, but um, that leads me to wonder, like, why didn't you, what, what was your thinking behind the chronological showing of the movies? Like, you could have left out the prequels. You could have shown the originals first. You could have like done the machete order or something, which I've always been very curious about how that would play. Um, I well, I didn't, I didn't really know about the the machete or I think I've heard it referred to as the butcher order. I didn't really know about that. And then when I learned about it, my understanding was the main purpose of that was to uh, preserve the twist in Empire Strikes Back. Well, I think it does a little more than that. I think it I think it makes it more about Luke. Like Luke is still the main character, right? Mm-hmm. Like because then it does two things. 
So, so basically for anyone who doesn't, who isn't familiar with the machete order, like the machete order is you basically exclude Phantom Menace. So you can watch it if you want, but you watch Star Wars, which is episode four, follow it up with the Empire Strikes Back episode five. Once you learn that Darth Vader is actually Anakin Skywalker, you go back, you watch episode two, Attack of the Clones next, and then episode three, Revenge of the Sith, and then you watch Return of the Jedi. So what, what happens at the end there, too, is it does something really interesting where you just saw how Anakin chose, how he, how he becomes Vader, and you find out about the twins, and then you see the resolution in the next movie. So you see the confrontation between the father and the son. There's a lot of mirroring in episodes three and episode six, like the whole duel in the throne room is very similar uh, you know, in episode three, where he kills uh, Count Dooku in front of Palpatine, which is ostensibly what Palpatine is trying to get Luke to do in Return of the Jedi. He's he's trying to get him to kill Vader and take his place. So, yes, it preserves the twists, uh, but it's also it kind of does something interesting at the end where it like actually kind of heightens the stakes of Return of the Jedi by more closely linking it to Revenge of the Sith. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, it. I don't know. It may have just been like laziness. <laughs> it, it seems chronological order seems like the order that to watch it in and i think with Allie really loving rogue one yeah rogue one's my favorite yeah yeah rogue one is up there it's quite good Sean, I love it i yeah that that's a that's a discussion for maybe another podcast <laughs> but i don't dislike it i just i i have some complaints well, I would love to hear those complaints on the Rogue One episode that we will inevitably do. Yeah, invite Sean back. Any closing thoughts? Sean, uh, just because I'm dying of curiosity, do you happen to recall where the flipover was in the laser discs of A New Hope <laughs> and the Empire Strikes Back? Like, what scene? Because I bet you remember exactly where it was. You know, I have been really racking my brain for like the last week trying to remember really? where it is and I haven't wanted to look it up and I haven't my memory's super terrible for some reason right now on the spot when you ask me I think it's in the trash compactor mm. Mm. I'm not 100% sure like I think it might be right when they come out of the trash compactor mm. okay but I don't know if that makes sense like movie length wise no, well, well, because it doesn't have to be exactly halfway. It just has to be at a natural place where it like it like wouldn't feel like you're stopping in the middle of something. So yeah, that actually seems like a natural place for it. That's I feel like I'm probably wrong, but gut instinct when they come out of the trash compactor. Okay, well, um, I'm going to go look it up and I'll include that in the show notes. Um, <laughs> well, on that note, thanks so much for uh, for having this conversation with me, guys. It was a fun one. I didn't know exactly where it would go, but I think I think we said a lot of interesting stuff. So thank you. Thank you for having us. And if you like what you heard, please visit TrashConPod.com where you can find transcripts of this episode and all of our other episodes. If you have any thoughts, comments, or critiques, well, you can keep the critiques yourself. Uh, but if you have any thoughts or comments, please send us an email at TrashConPod at gmail.com. We are Trashcom Pod across all social media, and we will see you on the next one. Okay.